This morning we're going to look at Daniel chapter 8. So let me invite you to turn there in your Bibles and follow along as we study this chapter together. Daniel chapter 8. In the previous chapter, we got an overview of world history, both past and future for us, that is, from the Babylonian king, kingdom all the way through the, the, um, the kingdom of the Antichrist, and then followed by the final kingdom, which is the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom that will fill up the whole earth and will be everlasting. And we learn from Daniel's vision of historical kingdoms uh, that, that they have some connection to these future kingdoms. And we've seen actually several visions, some by King Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel had to interpret, and now from, uh, from God to Daniel himself. And Daniel's interpret, finding out the interpretation and we're learning them along with him. And, and we have both interpretations of kingdoms that, that, that describe kingdoms from the past and kingdoms from the future. And these kingdoms in the past may seem like they have no connection, but as we'll see here in Daniel chapter 8, they actually do have a connection to the future kingdoms. And so let me read our passage for us this morning, beginning in verse 1, Daniel chapter 8. This is the Word of God. In the third year of the reign of Belshazzar the king, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, subsequent to the one which appeared to me previously. I looked in the vision, and while I was looking, I was in the citadel of Susa, which is in the province of Elam. And I looked in the vision, and I myself was beside the Uli Canal. And I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a ram which had two horns was standing in front of the canal. Now the two horns were long, but one was longer than the other, with the longer one coming up last. I saw the ram budding westward, northward, and southward, and no other beasts could stand before him, nor was there anyone to rescue him from his power. But he did as he pleased and magnified himself. And while I was observing, behold, a male goat was coming from the west over the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came up to the ram that had the two horns, which I had seen standing in front of the canal, and rushed at him in his mighty wrath. I saw him come beside the ram, and he was enraged at him. And he struck the ram and shattered his two horns, and the ram had no strength to withstand him. So he hurled him to the ground and trampled on him, and there was none to rescue the ram from his power. Then the male goat magnified himself exceedingly. But as soon as he was mighty, the large horn was broken. And in his place there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came forth a rather small horn which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the beautiful land. It grew up to the host of heaven and caused some of the host and some of the stars to fall to the earth, and it trampled them down. It even magnified itself to be equal with the commander of the host, and it removed the regular sacrifice from him and the place of his sanctuary was thrown down. And on account of transgression, the host will be given over to the horn along with the regular sacrifice, and it will fling truth to the ground and perform its will and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that particular one who was speaking, How long will the vision about the regular sacrifices apply while the transgression causes horror so as to allow both the holy place and the host 
to be trampled? He said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the holy place will be properly restored. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, standing before me was one who looked like a man. And I heard the voice of a man between the banks of Uli. And he called out and said, Gabriel, give this man an understanding of the vision. So he came near to where I was standing. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Son of man, understand that the vision pertains to the, end of, to the time of the end. Now while he was talking with me, I sank into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand upright. And he said, Behold, I'm going to let you know what will occur at the final period of the indignation, for it pertains to the appointed time of the end. The ram which you saw with the two horns represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat represents the kingdom of Greece. And the large horn that is between his eyes is the first king. The broken horn and the four horns that arose in its place represent four kingdoms which will arise from his nation, although not with his power. In the latter period of their rule, when the transgressors have run their course, a king will arise, insolent and skilled in intrigue. His power will be mighty, but not by his own power. And he will destroy to an extraordinary degree and prosper and perform his will. He will destroy mighty men and the holy people. And through his shrewdness, he will cause deceit to succeed by his influence. And he will magnify himself in his heart. And he will destroy many while they are at ease. He will even oppose the prince of princes. And he will be broken without human agency. The vision of the evenings and mornings which has been told is true, but keep the vision secret for pertains to many days in the future. Then I, Daniel, was exhausted and sick for days. Then I got up again and carried on the king's business, but I was astounded at the vision and there was none to explain it. We see another common theme that has been running throughout Daniel here in this chapter, and that is that kingdoms will rise and fall. Kingdoms will rise and fall, but God is ultimately in control. In order to understand this enigmatic chapter, we need to understand four main parts of the chapter. First, the setting. Second, the vision. Third, the interpretation. And fourth, the response. The setting the vision, the interpretation, and the response. So let's start with the first part of this chapter, the setting for Daniel's vision, which is found in verses 1 and 2. It was in the third year of the reign of Belshazzar. If you go back to chapter 7 and verse 1, you see it's in the first year of Belshazzar's reign that he had received this previous vision. In 552 B.C., Belshazzar just began to take his rule as co-regent in Babylon. Remember, his father... uh, was the the main king. He was the 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 leader. And and Belshazzar was serving under his father. He was a co regent, a co king. He was ruling over specifically this city of Babylon. His responsibility was this city. And it was in that year that Daniel received his first extended and detailed vision about the end times. And we saw that last time in Daniel chapter 7. Well, two years have elapsed since that previous vision that we have seen. Now it's 550 B.C. and Daniel's about 70 years old. And God again here reveals to Daniel what's going to take place in the future for him. 
but it also pertains to the end time. So there's the setting. Second thing we need to see is the vision. Verses 3 to 14, the vision. And before we look at the symbolic imagery, we need to keep in mind that everything in this vision is future for Daniel, but that does not mean that these things are all future for us. Okay, so everything in this vision had not happened. This is this is Daniel's. Uh, this is something that's future for Daniel. But they they do pertain to the end times, even for us. Look at verse 17. I'll show you this. So he came near to where I was standing. That is the angel Gabriel when he's explaining it to him. And when I he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. And he said to me, "Son of man, understand that the vision pertains to the time of the end." So while these visions may not be about the end times specifically, they pertain to the end times. And I'll show you how that, how that is at the end. At the end of this sermon, that is. Alright, so let's look at several of these characters that come up in this vision. First, the ram that rises to power in verses 3 and 4. The ram that rises to power. We need to notice two main features about this ram. First, He has two horns, and one of his horns is longer than the other. So get that image in your mind, a ram with two horns where one horn is longer than the other. That's what verse 3 tells us. The second thing that feature that we should notice about the ram is that he seems to be all-powerful. Look at verse 4. He goes in all these different directions, and then the second part says, "...and no other beasts could stand before him, nor was there anyone to rescue him or rescue from his power." but he did as he pleased. So this ram is extremely powerful and he seems like he is unable to be defeated. But the second part of the vision shows us that this ram, while seemingly all-powerful, is displaced by a shaggy goat in verses 5-8. through And this is the second part of the vision. A shaggy goat. We should notice four features. First, he is shaggy. And the reason I say that is because of verse 21. When the angel explains, he says the shaggy goat. Okay, so the, this male goat apparently is a shaggy male goat. Second thing we should notice about him is in verse 5 that he comes from the west with great speed. That he, he comes so fast that he doesn't even touch the surface of the ground. It's as if he's... he's we, we say this often that when we're going so fast down the freeway that we're flying down the freeway. Okay, we're not literally flying, but this is like what's happening with this this shaggy goat. He comes with such great speed that it seems as if he's not even touching the ground. The the third thing we need third feature about the goat is that he has a unihorn. Okay, not a unicorn, but a unihorn. He has a singular horn. Apparently he comes out from the center maybe um, of his head, but one conspicuous horn. Second part of verse five tells us that. Yeah, it is from the center, between his eyes it says. Okay, so I, I'm gonna call it a unihorn for the purposes of this message. And then the fourth feature about this ram is that he he defeats the ram with no problem, which is amazing because the ram seemed to be uh, impenetrable in power. Like his, his power seemed to be the strongest. No one could stand against him. He did as he pleased. And that this goat comes along and destroys him with no problem in verses 6 and 7. He, uh, verse 7 says, He struck the ram and shattered his two horns. The ram had no strength. So he, the goat, hurled him to the ground and trampled on him, the, the ram, and there was none to rescue the ram from his, the goat's, power. So this goat is extremely powerful, even more powerful than the ram. Third 
part of the vision that we see is found in verses 8 through 14. And it is that this unihorn on the, on the shaggy goat is displaced by four horns. So the, the unihorn is broken off and in its place comes four horns. And uh, we see this at the beginning of verse 8. The male goat magnified himself, but as soon as he was mighty, the large horn, that unihorn, was broken. And then it was displaced at the end of verse 8. There came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. And then, out of the smallest of the horns, verse 9, comes another horn. Verse 9 says, Out of one of them, that is, out of one of these four horns, came forth a rather small horn, which grew exceedingly large. And then this horn, this fifth horn, grows and has exceeding great power. And it goes on to talk about this unprecedented power in verses 10 to 12. It grew up to the host of heaven. It causes all these terrible things to happen. Verse, at the end of verse 12, it flings truth to the ground and performs its will and, and it prospers. But in verses 13 to 14, we find that this, the, the power of this little or this small horn will come to an end that His power will come to an end. Verse 14, for 2,300 evenings and mornings is how long that this horror will take place. So, now, if you can picture those bizarre images, a ram with two horns, one longer than the other, destroyed by a goat with a unihorn, and then the unihorn broken off to be replaced by four horns jutting out in all different directions, and then a smaller horn coming out of the smallest horn a fifth horn, we could say. Now that we have those images in our minds, we want to know what they mean, right? We want to know what the purpose of all this is, and so does Daniel. And so, thirdly, we see the interpretation of the vision in verses 15 to 27, the interpretation of the vision. The, the vision is explained by Gabriel, some voice from heaven, maybe God Himself, tells Gabriel in verse 16, Gabriel, give this man an understanding of the vision. And that's exactly what he does. Notice what happens to Daniel in verse 18. Now while he, Gabriel, was talking with me, I sank into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. When does a person sink into a deep sleep with his face to the ground? Have you ever been to a wedding where it's really hot and the groomsmen are all dressed up in their really hot suits and they sink into a deep sleep with their face to the ground? Have you ever seen that happen? Okay, I've been in a wedding like that. A friend of mine, I think two guys back, I was in the wedding party. Uh, two guys back just fell down face first. And uh, they just picked him up and carried him out like nothing. They continued on with the service. Um, and we just all stood there like we were uh, you know, those soldiers in England that don't, don't flinch. I forget what they're called. But, um, but I think that's what's happening here. I think that, that what is likely happening is that Daniel is coming into the presence of greatness. Okay? He's recognizing that he's getting a message from God through this angel and he passes out right in front of him. Falls into a deep sleep with his face to the ground. And I think, you know, when we get to heaven, we often think that we're, we're, we're going to have an easy time. Kind of like, you know, we're buddies with God, so it's going to be just like going over to see our friends. It's going to be no big deal. But I wonder what it's going to be like when we come into the presence of God. Will we, will we be able to stand before Him? 
or we fall to our knees just in utter fear, a healthy fear of God? Will we, will we be able to speak or will we be like we are sometimes in our dreams in a nightmare when we come before someone that we're fearful of that we can't even say a word? What will it be, what will it be like when we come into the presence of God? Daniel is sensing some of that. And he falls into a deep sleep. In verse 19, the end of verse 18, but he, the angel, touched me and made me stand upright. Apparently he woke him out of his fainting spell. And then he sheds more light on how this prophecy ties into the end times events. Verse 19, he said, Behold, I'm going to let you, Daniel, know what will occur at the final period of indignation for it pertains to the appointed time of the end. Now, we might think, as we're going through this, we hear about a horn and even a small horn, and we might think this is referring to the Antichrist, and this is referring to the time of the tribulation. And, um, but I'm going to suggest that there's something else other than that. But what I want us to see that although I think these prophecies are speaking about Daniel's future, but our past, something that's already taken place, it still pertains to the future. Look again at verse 19. Behold, I am going to let you know what will occur at the final period of indignation, for it pertains to the appointed time of the end. So whatever he's going to tell him is going to pertain to the end times. So now let's try to see what these all these images mean. What what how can we interpret these various images? First, the ram in verse twenty. The ram which you saw with the two horns represents the kings of Media and Persia. Okay, so the longer horn most likely refers uh, uh, may refer to the Persians since the, the Medes started out stronger, but then the Persians quickly uh, passed them up with the rise of King Cyrus. King Cyrus was really the emperor of the, the Medo-Persian um, kingdom. And so very likely the longer horn refers to Persia and the shorter horn would refer to the Medes. And the various directions that the ram was going in verse 4 may refer to the various kingdoms that they conquered. We don't know for sure. But what we do know is that the ram is referring to the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. Okay, The second image that we see is in verse 21. And the interpretation is that this shaggy goat represents the kingdom of Greece. The shaggy goat represents the kingdom of Greece. Remember what the shaggy goat does? He comes and with no problem at all destroys the ram, throws him to the ground, and no one's able to help the ram, which seemingly was so powerful before. And yet this goat comes along, this kingdom of Greece. And notice what the, the unihorn is referring to. The large horn that is between his eyes is the first king. The first king of Greece. That is the first king of this Grecian Empire. Greece would rise to power under the rule of what famous leader in the 4th century B.C.? Alexander the Great. And so, here, long before these events even take place, a couple centuries before, the angel is telling Daniel there's going to become a king out of Greece who's going to come with great power. And he's going to go so fast, it's going to be as if he's not even touching the ground. That's how fast He's going to come to power. In fact, it's only in ten short years that He carves out an empire that is 1.5 million square miles. 
and without losing even one battle. This is Alexander the Great, and God had prophesied that it would happen to Daniel several hundred years before. In verses 6 and 7, we see his strength, that he is has no problem with his previous kingdom, the king, kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. But we also noticed in the vision that this unihorn, this king of Greece, as we now know, this unihorn was broken, right? As soon as he came to power, he magnified himself. It was broken. And then he was displaced by what? Remember what the vision showed? By four horns. Now, what, what are the four horns? Well, verse 22 tells us, the broken horn and the four horns that arose in its place represent four kingdoms which will arise from his nation, although not with his power. So the four horns represent four nations. Now this is where the vision gets a little tricky. We need to think carefully. Look, look. Uh, we're, uh, if we're thinking in terms of the statue, before we get back to verse 22... For thinking in terms of the statue, remember the statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream that was overwhelming and it had really four parts to it that represented four kingdoms. You had the head of gold that represented the kingdom of Babylon. And then you had the arms and chest of silver which represented the kingdom of uh, the Medes and the Persians. And then you had the, the waist and the, the thighs of bronze which represented the kingdom of, of Greece. And then you had the legs of iron, which represented the kingdom of Rome. So if we're thinking in those terms, we might think that these four horns represent those four kingdoms. But, but look again at the text in verse 22. That's not what it says. The broken horns and the four horns that arose in its place represent four kingdoms which will arise from his nation although not with His power. So this is not talking about those same four kingdoms that we saw in Daniel 2 that, that corresponded with the parts of the statue. This is talking about four different kingdoms that came out of this kingdom that's represented by the shaggy goat, which was the kingdom of what? kingdom of Greece. So four kingdoms come out of that. Four kingdoms rise to power after Alexander the Great died. I think it was his son that took took his place for a short time. It didn't last very long. And so out of that came his kingdom was split up into four regions. And it was ruled by four generals. Four of Alexander the Great's generals ruled these four regions. First, there was the region of Macedonia and Greece. Second, Thrace and Asia Minor. Third, Syria and Babylon. And fourth, Egypt and Palestine. So these four generals took the whole kingdom, divided it up into four, and then they ruled. And I think that's what these four horns are referring to. So with that in mind, I can now shed some light on the identity of this last image in Daniel's vision. The meaning of the small horn in verses 23 to 26. Let's notice a few things about him before we identify him. First, his origin. Verse 9, remember he grew out of one of these smaller kingdoms. Okay, so, so if we think about it in terms of the four horns, the four horns represent these four kingdoms that are ruled by the four generals. And out of one of those came a small horn. It grew out a small horn. Okay, his, his power, verse 10, 
Notice his power. It grew up to the host of heaven and caused some of the hosts and some of the stars to fall to the earth. The phrase, the host of heaven, is used in Scripture to describe several different things. First, it can be used to describe the physical stars of the sky, the host of heaven. God created the hosts of the heaven. The phrase, the host of heaven, can also be used to describe the creatures that are around the throne of God, that are constantly praising God, that the host of heaven is praising God, the angels and, and I think, believers there. Or it can also be used, the host of heaven can be used to describe the nation of Israel. Now, to me, it doesn't make sense that this small horn would grow up to the physical stars. Look again at verse 10. It grew up to the host of heaven. It doesn't make sense that he would grow up to the physical stars. Or it doesn't make sense that he would cause some of the host of heaven, the people, the, the creatures in heaven to actually fall, that is the angels and the believers. Most likely, I think it's referring to the nation of Israel. And the falling and trampling that's talked about here in verses 9 to 12 has to do with putting the host of heaven, Israel, to death. That this small horn leads an, an, an uprising against the Jewish nation and his his goal is to kill Jews and to desecrate the temple. In fact, that is his great sin, verses 11 and 12. It even magnified itself to be equal with the commander of the host. Okay, we can obviously see that that's God. And it removed the regular sacrifice from him and the place of his sanctuary was thrown down. And on account of transgression, the host will be given over to the horn along with the regular sacrifice and it will fling truth to the ground and perform its will and prosper. So he blasphemes God. He kills the host of heaven. I think Israel. He kills Israel, Jews, and he desecrates the temple. His destiny will help us identify him more clearly in verses 13 and 14. Remember, somebody asked the question, one of the holy ones asked, how long will the vision about the regular sacrifice apply? In other words, how long will this small horn be able to desecrate the temple and kill the host of heaven? How long is that going to happen? And notice the answer in verse 14. For 2,300 evenings and mornings and the holy place will be properly restored. Okay, so 2,300 evenings. Now we need to think about this in terms of a Jewish calendar, not, not a, the Roman calendar that we use. Okay, this 2,300 evenings works out in their calendar to six years and four months. A little bit over, uh, around four months, not exactly four months. And so I would suggest to you that this does not correspond to the tribulation. We might be thinking small horn and little horn. We saw little horn in last chapter, Daniel 7, so we might be thinking this is the Antichrist. But the 2300 uh, evenings and mornings does not correspond with the seven-year period of the tribulation. Instead, it's only six years and close to four months. Remember, the key point here is that these kingdoms arise from the unihorn, the kingdom of Greece. And this leader, this man who, who, uh, who, who defies God and defies His people, arises from one of those lesser kingdoms. And so for those reasons, I think we can now identify the small horn. It's not the Antichrist. Instead, this man is a leader who has risen to power in history following the kingdom of Greece. 
and whose actions are similar to what will take place in the tribulation. And that's why it's going to be helpful for us. But we'll get to that later. I think the identity of this small horn is Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes was a Seleucid. Seleucid was one of those... They had control of Syria and Babylon. That, That was one of the regions that came out of the Grecian Empire. And he rose to power when he assassinated the Jewish high priest Onias III. And he did that in 170 B.C. And his persecution lasted on the Jews and on the temple for six years and nearly four months. It ended when Judas Maccabeus revolted against Antiochus Epiphanes and he restored the temple. The restoration of the temple took place 2,300 days after the high priest Onias III had been murdered. And so for that reason, uh, for all these reasons, for the reasons we have in our text, for what we see from history, I would suggest to you that this small horn is Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, notice Daniel's response to the vision in verse 27. Then I, Daniel, was exhausted and sick sick for days. Now I got up again and carried on the king's business, but I was astounded at the vision. There was none to explain it. Daniel was exhausted and sick for days, but then he got back to work, but he still couldn't fully comprehend the vision even though it had been interpreted to him. So we need to think about how we can respond to this. If if this is the case, if this really is Antiochus Epiphanes, what does this have to do with us? I mean, if this is a a vision about first the medial Persian Empire, this ram with the two horns, and then the Greek Empire, and then about this little troublemaker, Antiochus Epiphanes, what does this have to do with us? Why take 45 minutes on a Sunday morning to study a history lesson? And there's a couple of reasons that we do that. Number one, it's in the Bible. And so, as 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable. So, there is some profit for us. And the second reason is, as I mentioned earlier, these things, these things that were prophesied to Daniel pertain to the end times. Let me see if I can show you how this ties into the end times. First, let me show you that it does. Verse 17 again. The end of the verse says, Son of man, speaking to Daniel, understand that the vision pertains to the time of the end. Okay, so what I'm going to tell you that's in your near future, Daniel, obviously Daniel will die first, but, but in the future of your people, it pertains to the end times. Verse 19, Behold, I'm going to let you know what will occur at the final period of indignation, for it pertains to the appointed time of the end. And then verse 26, The vision of the evenings and the mornings which had been told is true, but keep the vision secret, for it pertains to many days in the future. The attitudes, actions, and the destiny or the end of Antiochus Epiphanes are very similar to the attitudes, actions, and the destiny of the Antichrist in the last days. And while Antiochus Epiphanes is not someone who we need to fear today, and he is not the final and great Antichrist, he is much like him. Right? He opposes the people of God. He blasphemes God. He desecrates the temple. And yet, like the Antichrist in the future, Antiochus Epiphanes' reign 
comes to an end, doesn't it? It does not last. It is not eternal. And we should not be surprised for this. Uh, We should not be surprised by this. Antiochus Epiphanes, I would say, is an antichrist. Right? Remember what John said in 1 John 2.18? He said the antichrist is coming, but we know that many antichrists have come. There are many who oppose God, that blaspheme Him, that stand up in defiance against Him. And Antiochus Epiphanes is just one of them. And he serves for us as an example of what God is going to do in the end. Do you realize that there is a revolving door behind the thrones of this world? There is a revolving door behind the thrones of this world. It's as if a king comes through the revolving door to sit on the throne and say, I am the king. He magnifies himself and he proclaims his greatness and his power and how he had done so much to get where he is. But just as quickly as he comes to the throne, he exits. He exits out that revolving door to make way for the next man up for the job. And this goes on in country after country, in empire after empire, century upon century, until the defiance against God has reached its boiling point when the Antichrist comes through the revolving door and sits on the throne and says, I am the king and you must worship me. When we study Daniel 7, we might have come away a little bit afraid of this little horn in the end times. And maybe we wondered if God really could overpower him. But here in Daniel 8, God records for us a historical man who rises to power and seems like he is unable to be defeated. But do you know what happens to him? His reign comes to an end. And I think... What God is teaching us here is that we can trust Him. It's like a five-year-old who's standing near a window in a burning building and his dad is down below and says, Jump, son, I'll catch you. And the son says, How can I be sure? And the father replies, Son, have I ever dropped you? Do you remember the time when you jumped into the pool and I caught you? Do you remember when you jumped from the stairs and I caught you? Jump from the window and I will catch you. Friends, when the Antichrist comes and believers are fearful what he is doing and whether God can win, they simply need to lean heavily on Daniel 8 and remember that just as Antiochus Epiphanes rose to power and persecuted the Jews and desecrated the temple, so will the Antichrist rise to power, desecrate the temple, persecute the Jews, but... Like Antiochus Epiphanes, the Antichrist's kingdom will be short-lived. God says, you can trust me because you've seen it happen before. No kingdom has been an eternal kingdom. No kingdom will be an eternal kingdom until the Son of Man comes. How can we be sure that God will deliver us? And the answer is that because He has delivered us before. And He will do it again. And the means by which it happens in the final time will be when the Ancient of Days hands over the kingdom to the Son of Man. And this Son of Man will come like a thrown rock at the base of a statue that seems indestructible. You know, the Antichrist doesn't look like much at first. He's called a little horn. 
But in a matter of a few years, He will have almost limitless control of the entire world. And He stands in front of His throne and shouts out blasphemies against the God of gods and tells everyone how great He is. But it's just in a matter of time, just a short period of time, that King Jesus comes onto the platform and says, this revolving door that has been swinging for years and centuries is closed because I'm the final king coming through the door and I'm taking the throne and no one will defeat me because this is my Father's world. And though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world and the battle is not done because the one who died will cause the world to be satisfied when when earth and heaven is won from the grip of the Antichrist's hands. And with the word from His mouth, King Jesus will destroy the Antichrist and imprison the great and powerful man behind the curtain that we know as Satan. And then Jesus will rule on the throne of David and will govern the whole world and no one will unseat Him because His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And His dominion goes on for generation after generation and He will reign forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the truth of Your Word and how it affects us intellectually and emotionally. And we pray that it would also affect our wills. That it would change how we live. How we trust You. Lord, we admit there are many times when we fail to trust You. We've seen You work in our lives hundreds of times and in the lives of believers in the Scripture and in the lives of other believers that we know. We've seen You work in powerful ways and yet we fail to trust You once again. Lord, we're thankful for this reminder that You are worthy of our trust. You have never failed us. You have never gone back on any of Your promises. You've never been defeated. Lord, You are all-powerful, all-knowing, and Your plan will come to pass. You are not reacting to the things that are going on in this world. You are proactively setting up things according to Your plan so that all things are under Your control And that just like Antiochus Epiphanes was removed from power in a short period of time, so will the final king before the great king, the Antichrist. He will be removed in just a short period of time. He will rise to power in three and a half years and then rule with with unprecedented power for another three and a half years. But then just as quickly as he rises, he will be taken off the scene with the word of our Savior's mouth. Lord, we will be there at that time. We will witness those events as they take place on the earth. We will, because we will be coming from heaven to join our Savior in this battle where we will do nothing but watch. Watch Him who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords take control like is rightfully due to Him. And everyone will recognize His greatness. And there will come a day when every knee will bow. Those in heaven and on earth 
and those under the earth. And every tongue will confess that our Lord, our Jesus, is Lord to the glory of You, our Father. And we long for that day. We see the inconsistencies in this world. We see the curse that is on the earth. Terrible things that happen every day. And we long for this world to be restored. Would you come, Lord Jesus? And until that time, Lord, help us to be faithful and to trust you as you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.